Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio.
Rodney, I appreciate uh, all the warm sentiment, and you know, it's it's a it's a ebb and flow with me and you. You push me, I pull you, and vice versa. <laughs> we just keep it going, though. The show must go on. It does. It does. I I, I want to start the show uh, today with sending uh, love and. And blessings and, and prayers for peace for I have uh, family out in Kuwait right now in the middle of a situation. He's my friend, dear dear friend of mine, uh, Jim Locke, uh, who's in the army. He's an officer in the army, and uh, he contacted me this week. And you know everything is is going on in the world right now, and I just wanted to send light and love to him and the troops, all of our uh troops that are out there holding the line for us, holding up holding holding it down with uh democracy. I'm very concerned and you know, just prayers for peace, man. Well we definitely need those prayers. This was uh, at the gathering yesterday for a minute. Everyone at the gathering were veterans, whether retirees or serving a tour of duty. And uh it was a uh, in, in, I mean, we had Marines, we had Navy, we had Coast yeah. Guard, uh, we had uh, Air Force, uh, Dr. Green, uh, Rep. 
representing the uh, Army side of things. Just uh, for a minute, especially as we're about to celebrate Independence Day a week from today, just uh, interesting. Just a coincidence, but it was just kind of nice well, for a minute to think. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, uh, I haven't actually talked to my friend in a while, and his, he just sent me a message this week. And, you know, just asked for prayer. And, you know, he's he's clergy in the Army. And, uh, you know, for clergy to ask you to pray with and for them, it must be serious. And just sending light and love and prayer. And, you know, the, the, the clergy in the military is dealing with a lot of things a lot. outside right. of what they normally have to deal with. And uh, we often talk about what is done for people or that are in need of clergy or doctors, counseling, things like that. But I think sometimes the counselors, the responders, uh, the doctors, the clergy may not get the attention that they need. That they Can you need. imagine having to deal with all of those things that whether it's soldiers on the battlefield or in places of potential harm's way, but just people right here in the state who are constantly dealing with the many ills of society today. And then Absolutely. who is there for them? And uh, Absolutely. I, I appreciate you offering that prayer up to them because they need those those prayers. They need that in order for them to help us. Yeah, and I, you know, I, a prayer is powerful, but, I, you know, I'm just asking, you know, just reminding our audience to, you know, also, you know, pray for my friend Jim Locke and pray for all of our friends and family that are deployed and trying to hold down the line. So uh, everything, it's, it's all appreciated. Um, just crucial times we live in, man. And the times don't seem to be letting up. Uh, there is, we are going from one thing to the other. Some people say it's just a news cycle. Maybe so. Maybe so. You know, but if it wasn't real, the news public. wouldn't be reporting it. I'll say that. That's what I say. And, you know, it's 24 hours. They have a lot of time to report a, a lot of things. And they a are lot of things. It. When you think about it, we we were just, you know, there was a big prison break. Then we were grieving towards the incidents in South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, and then there's been so much more to come out of that. And, you know, then there's there's a beheading that is happening here in America. Yeah. Uh, just this a woman, a, a person beheaded, and then another woman who survived a, uh, a beheading here yep. in America. Can you imagine? We are living in crucial and uh, serious times, and it's moments sometimes when, you know, it's moments when friends reach out to you and they're uh, doing their to their best to offer their best to our best and brightest and uh, bravest. And they reach back to you. For my friend to reach back to me and say, Angela, I need you to pray and uh, hold me down because 
you know, I just need all hands on deck. And I appreciate you, and I love you. I'm over here in Kuwait, and I need it's just something. It's a, a reminder that, you know, things are free ain't free. By no means is free ever free. There is always a cost. Even when it says free, there is a cost. Yeah, there is a cost to somebody somewhere. So, you know, I, I'm just reminded once more that uh, all we are is dust in the wind. Sometimes it just feels in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, let's just all pray for one another and pray for peace. And and let's not stop with the prayer. Let's put some yeah. let's put some action into those words. Oh well, and, I mean, you know, prayer, prayer without works is, is what? Action. <laughs> That's uh, right. Dead. Uh, but I it's will say dead. the prayer is an action. It definitely is an action. But let's put some physical work with those words to help bring those prayers uh, to fruition. Because sometimes, you know, we look up to a, a heavenly body or a deity, and we have the power to do whatever it is right here. So yep. let's not miss those opportunities for us to do our part. True. So true and so needed. As long well, as we have life, we have ability. Well, absolutely, my brother. has been full of all kinds of news. Sort of tough to pick one versus the other to start, but there's been a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff going on locally, as well as a lot of stuff going on uh, nationally. Nationally and international, yeah. I don't want us to forget what's going on with the uh, with the East Coast and especially the South Coast. But then those of us here in Las Vegas, a lot of folks were educated that those issues on the southeast coast, especially dealing with the flag, are not just southeast issues. Those are some issues that hit us home squarely in We're the We're at state, home, right? Right here, right here in Las Vegas. You know, I tell we you, are, uh, our teams are called the Rebels. I even have a song, a, a chant called Hey Red. And when I first got here, saw the mascot, Heard the song, knew exactly what it meant to me, and but was looking at people applauding and cheering, thinking, "What in the world? What is going on here?" Well, Rodney, you do know this is the Mississippi of the West, and I said, "Well, yeah, I see," and nobody (laughs) seems to mind. And in light of you know everything that's going on in in South. Carolina and Charleston, I send uh, light and love to the families affected in the community. My uh, grandson, Mikael, is South Carolinian. My, um, his dad is from, and family are all South Car- Carolina folks. You, yourself, my fabulous co-host from North Carolina. So uh, North Carolina, but keep in mind, my family was uh, I'm just above the uh, North Carolina, South Carolina line on the East Coast, 
And my family mm-hmm. was actually enslaved in South Carolina. So there's, there's the connection again. Um, you know, we all but a heartbeat away from one another. And, and we should remember that. The connections oh, are real. Say that we, again. We are all but a heartbeat away from one another, and we should all remember that. Um, and, you know, that's just been the overwhelming message coming to me personally this week for my friend whom I haven't talked to in a, in a minute to reach out to me from Kuwait and then to see what's going on in Kuwait. It was a reminder that six degrees of separation does not exist anymore. We are all really, literally, a heartbeat away from one another. You know, I I was on some Facebook posts this week, and some things has happened in the Supreme Court uh, with uh, Obamacare, as some mm-hmm. people call it, other people the Affordable Care Act. Some people take exception to it being called Obamacare, but President Obama said he did care. And somebody says, well, what difference does it make what happens with this or that? That's just this. And someone else pointed out that, just like you said, or similar to what you said, well, we're all connected there. So what happens with one will impact will happen to you. another. Now, we don't know how it's going to impact, whether it will be pro or con, good or bad, but it will be an impact. And if you yep. are the one that's sitting on the sidelines, then you are being impacted by others. And it's almost as if you're a leaf or uh, a branch just blowing in the wind and standing on a slippery slope. And I was thinking, yeah, it does seem like we're just a slipping and a, a slide and a swaying uh, because as a group of people, it doesn't seem like you really have impact. And that actually brings me to one of the topics on the show today was that with this quick move with the Confederate flag that a lot of people think well past time to have this movement, there's a group of people who are saying that, hey, this is not an issue. Why are we so interested in the Confederate flag? That some people even say this is a distraction. And I was like, wait a minute, are we snatching uh, victory from... The jaws of defeat. I mean, what's going on here? We actually have changed something that, of course, should have been changed years ago, but hasn't. But yet now we're saying, ah, that's no big thing. I I asked at the gathering yesterday, we had some giants of the community that were there. We had a, a local, uh, Mr. Gene Collins, former in the local NAACP, uh, chapter president, uh, uh, legislative official, was there with us. And he was in his 70s. And uh, we had Dr. Robert L. Green, Professor Emeritus from Michigan State University, basically started their African-American studies program there and moved it, moved it forward. And, uh, you know, we, we've heard young people say that our seniors and those older than them don't get a chance to share or have not shared with them. So actually they started talking and they were dropping, they were just dropping some some first-hand information. That some jewels, people, absolutely. 
had to, you know, may have to go to the history book and read it if they can find it in those history books. And luckily I had my camera. And at first I was just so enthralled with what they had to say that I was just listening. I said, oh, do you mind if I record this? Because other people need to hear it. I didn't get all of it, but I did get some of it. And I hope to get the video up uh, sometime soon. But, you know, they were sharing it. And they, I asked them specifically about the flag and was it a victory or not. And, and they shared their opinions on it. And to the man, they thought that, no, this this is a victory, and this is something that we should really hold on to. But it's also the potential to a launching pad for more. You know, th- their thoughts was, you know, okay, you got this one, move on to the next one. And and then the next one. Don't stop because, like Angela said, freedom isn't free. Frederick Douglass says you have to agitate. You have to constantly push uh, the envelope, so to speak, just don't let us let them box us in here. Okay, they let us expand the box, the walls on the box. Let, let's push the roof up a little higher. Let's push those walls again. And we have to constantly do that until we get what it is that we think we should have. And more than more, we have to be visionaries and be vigilant to that vision, too, because we can no longer um, – and, you know, Dr. Green and, and Mr. Collins' generation uh, had that vision of, I don't, I don't want it just for me. I want this for my babies and my baby's babies. I don't want, in fact, Mr. Gene Collins absolutely said that yesterday. I did not want to sacrifice just for me. Nothing I did was for me. It was for y'all. For you guys to never know what it is to not be allowed somewhere simply because you're black. I did that for you guys. It is disheartening on occasion to hear folks talk so negatively of the civil rights movement or call it a failure. And I try to point out that the goals that were before them that were stated, most of them were achieved. And once those things are achieved by that generation, doesn't mean that generation should go in retirement, but they are getting older and they've done a major, you know, they've done a, a lot of the heavy lifting. Uh, you would think that then the generations who come after them, who can reap the benefits, the rewards of that labor, those sacrifices, would then expand on what they were given. And I, I I want us to look at that more as not looking at it from, oh, well, yeah, that was nice, but we really needed this, or you just didn't do enough. Then the question becomes to me is what are you doing now? They did what they did to whatever extent it was. Okay, now you, now you are moving into the position of, Authority, you're moving into decision making. What are you doing? Because if if you're just lamenting on, oh well, instead of getting up to this level, I think I should have gotten up to that level. The idea is they were down here, and then they moved it up to here for you to have that. Now you build the next one, and and that's a matter of focusing in. 
maybe that's more of a, a glass half full versus uh, half empty approach to it. But I, you know, for me, that is the approach that I was taught growing up is we all have a role to play. You play your role to the fullest. Now, your role may make what your full capacity may be is less or more than this person, but that's for them to do. You do what you have to do. So it's time for us right now to do what we can do, build off of what was done for us already, those sacrifices. As a matter of fact, those people were willing to stand in front of dogs, water cannons, billy clubs, armed officers, National Guard in some cases, of course, mean-spirited citizens, folks running around with dust caps on and white sheets, uh, waving a flag of defeat. And, and I, I want to say this about the flag, the rebel flag. I have seen the same groups of people who are saying how we need to celebrate that Confederate flag. And these same groups of people talk about other groups, whether it's the Latino, Hispanics, the Mexicans, uh, the Puerto Ricans, whomever it is, other groups, and say, wait a minute, this, we're in America, we're American. We celebrate the American flag. Okay, if that's your belief, that's your belief. Maybe it isn't theirs, but that's your belief. But that's what you say to them when they display a flag outside of the American flag. But here it is, where these same people are embracing a flag of defeat of a nation that only lasted a very short while that was defeated by the United States of America, who they were graciously invited back into after they succeeded from it, with South Carolina being one that led that charge. So I guess when I'm trying to look at this logically, the logic left, because if it's good for this over here, then shouldn't it be good for that over there? So the, but see, the logic apply, the logic in your, in your thought process is the uh, informedness that his, and the, it's with the inf- information, it's with the history Last week I was in Austin, Texas, and I was there surrounded by, you know, almost bookshelfed in. Uh, on the first museum we went to, we went to see the uh, African American Women's Quilter, Black Women's Quilting Society's uh, Juneteenth uh, presentation of Black History at the. Uh, National Texas Museum, I think it's called. I'll get the name straight in a minute. Um, 1,700 black women from across the country make up this society. And they mapped out so many pieces of our history, stuff I knew and stuff I didn't know, like in a piece of black history that I didn't know. Um, related to black women, particularly the first person to have an international pilot's license was a black woman, international. 
She was also the first woman, I believe she was the first female pilot here in the United States. But before she got her pilot's license here in the States, she had an international license. She was flying internationally already. So that happened in the 1890s. I'll check my facts in a minute on the date. It was really, it took a really long time. It might have been. It might have been in the 1920s. I'll, I'll look at my uh, fact sheet in a moment. But I didn't know that the first all-women flight crew didn't happen until 2009, and the flight crew was all black women. That's right. So, you know, you're saying these things, and you're saying this because you have an understanding of history. And we are so hmm, misinformed because we only look at what's presented in front of us. We have no reverence for what has happened already. And and we have to stay vigilant and stay um Informed. I, I in Austin last week. I also, you know, learned another piece of history. First settlement uh, of African descent was right here in North America, right in Uma, Mexico. Runaway slave defeated several. He ran. He ran and fought for twelve years for his freedom. So much, so effectively that the government finally came to him and said, "Look, what do you want?" He's like, "I want to go free. I just want to settle down, and I don't want to be bothered anymore." And uh, they said, "Okay, you just can't free any more slaves." Now he didn't just free himself; he freed a lot of other slaves. A lot of other slaves and free blacks were coming to uh, settle with and around him, um, and. They said, okay, just don't free any more slaves. Of course he did, but they never enforced, you know, the the agreement was, okay, I'll give up freeing slaves and you guys stop chasing me. He didn't stop freeing slaves and they never enforced um, any penalties against against him. I'm going to put all of this footage up on our Facebook page. Uh, Rodney, if you want to post it on the Our Own Voices website as well, you're more than welcome to, but I made a I made it my mission to, you know, make sure that I didn't just go witness this uh, history and, and enjoy my trip. I I filmed it so that others could be informed too. But the other part of my uh, journey in Austin was that I went to the Lyndon Baines Johnson Presidential Library. Now, I've been processing that all week. Have you been to a presidential library before, Rodney? Sure have not. This was my first trip to a presidential library as well, my husband's as well. And I tell you the most awe-striking experience in that visit was to come into the foyer of the museum and look up 
I, and I totally wasn't expecting this. It's a very uh, stark white environment, very modern, uh, all-white marble um, space. So I'm coming into the foyer, and it was a rainy day in Austin uh, at the time we were running into the building because it was storming uh, last weekend. And I looked up, and there was his presidential archive. I had to take a seat because I was so floored by the magnitude of that body of work, six stories high, six stories high. Do you remember the big dictionaries that used to be in the uh, public library when you would go to the library, Rodney? I actually had one of those at my house, but yes, I do. I do too. (laughs) And each volume was thicker than that, six stories high. That's his presidential archive. And I said, I turned to my husband, I said, and this is just one of his jobs. This was just from him being the president of the United States, as if that was a small task. But right. could you imagine having uh, an archive from just one of your jobs? And, and just, I wonder what it would look like. Would it measure, would it measure up? Six stories tall, completely, I would say, Hmm. I don't know. I'm 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 not good with measurements, but it, trust me, it was wide. I felt like dust in the wind. It was a very it's a very huge space. Um, it was like fifteen thousand square feet. I think. Uh, maybe that may be too small, but um, just to stand there and look up and see these large red bound books with the gold presidential seal on each one of them and to see how thick they were. And then to go through um, the museum where, you know, they have a recreation of his Oval Office. And, uh, but there were other things there, the statements that stood out to me, like uh, him saying, him and his team saying, I don't know how to solve racism or poverty but I'm going to throw everything I got at it, and hopefully something will rid our country of these two plagues. He considered those two issues America's only shortcomings. And if he could just solve those two or do something, he wanted to solve them, and he acknowledged. I, I love the humility in acknowledging, I don't know how to fix this. I done called all my smartest friends over here and gave them jobs, and they don't know how to fix it. But here's what we have. We got Head Start. We got um, national parks. Do you know 31 national parks came into existence under his administration? 31 national parks? So, you know, my point is, we gotta get out here and go take a look at the work that's been done on our behalf already and try to figure out a way to continue it. Did it give you a, a different viewpoint of Lyndon Johnson? You know, we we hear so many things about him, some myths, some 
true and some just downright fiction. Uh, fiction being another word for lie. But did, did you come away with a different sense of the man? I did. I, I came away, uh, like I said, I saw, I, I tried my best to look past the politics of it all, past the party, because, you know, one of my favorite things, I took a picture of this quote. Um, he said that uh, he was definitely a, a a party man. He was a Democrat till 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 he dies. You know, I'm a Democrat, and that's that's what that's the lens I want you to, you know, view my body of work through. Um, but I walked away feeling that he was much more human than um, I had come into the um, space feeling he was. And that um, he was sincere in trying to solve what he saw was um, problems that plagued our society. So... However, he had the opportunity to make some of these policies come to life, and and they were um, vast. The summer jobs was created under Lyndon B. Johnson, and there were a lot of summer job programs. He felt that it was uh, of the utmost importance to let young people know that they were of value and they were needed in the um moved the movement of of our society um i don't think we spend enough time making young people feel like they're important to us and that their vision is needed their voice is needed their voice is a part of the process i thought that was genius to uh to have such a um a space where he created such a huge body of work. I mean, you go from Head Start, that's three, four, five years old, high school, grammar school, high school. One letter I wrote from a, uh, one letter I read from a kid who wrote about Vista. He, he had learned about Vista at, at his Sunday school program. And he was so moved that this that the Lyndon B. Johnson has started Vista. Now that took me back to the gathering because our dear friend Alex and so many others that have come to the table were Vista. They 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 they're they were still working. That program is still in existence. They've been at our table. Yes, I is. I know people, good people that are working with Vista. But this kid was so moved to hear that Lyndon. B. Johnson had created Vista that he immediately went home and um, put a plan together, did a carnival, and raised $600 for Vista. He was 10. This kid was 10 years old. We could all do something. And speaking of all doing something, here's the question for you out there listening. What are you doing? 
what are you doing now? It, it, this is a rhetorical question. It, it, I mean, by all means, give us a call, 347-826-9600, 347 826 9600. Now, yesterday you her. dropped a, a jewel at the gathering. Um, Stop me dead in my tracks. We were saying how things were hard and difficult, and you called us to task on that. It just took me back to my visit to Austin, Texas during Juneteenth weekend and just, you know, spending some time amongst history where things were really hard. And you were right to say, I dare you sit here in the lap of luxury because, you know, it's pretty luxurious. Um, the way we're living right now compared to what we've been through as a country, and that's all of us. Um, so, you know, I wanted to publicly thank you for that good checking. Um, it was needed. And I'm going to work hard at, at not saying it's hard because you're, you were exactly right. We don't know what hard is. We we simply don't. We we can't imagine the hardships. Can't imagine the hardships. Really what it was like day to day to live some of the hardships that folks were going through every day and lived a lifetime in. Hoping and praying that their kids would get to where we are right now. I dare we say things are too hard. It, it is amazing. When I hear, I am amazed constantly, and I shouldn't be but shocked when I hear people complain about the civil rights movement and what was left undone and what else should have been done and how it was a distraction. There's so many things that I hear. And and I'm sitting there in a place where we could not have met publicly before these things happened. Uh, even when we think about the church in South Carolina that everyone has now realized that Denmark Vesey uh, was a member of that particular congregation and helped organize a slave rebellion from that church and later was uh, shut down, was even burned at. But here, here is the, something I want folks to realize is that some, that was the only place black people could, you know, assemble was the church because of the restrictive laws of slavery during slavery and then Jim Crow after Reconstruction. And Reconstruction was a very short period. We thrived and, you know, we created a whole bunch of stuff during that period. But it was very short. And then we went back into the pseudo-slavery of Jim Crow, which is what I was born in. And I realized when I asked the age of the folks around me, that none of them had firsthand experience with Jim Crow. None of them lived during Jim Crow. I also realized that someone said that they took offense to being called colored. And I'm not saying that I championed it. I just, you know, <laughs> thought about it. 
and said, well, on my first I've been called worse. Colored, and I'd have much rather been called colored than some of the things that we call ourselves today. Yeah. Uh, some, so I, I just try to put those things into context and say, you know, let's let's move forward. It's great. We to have to start. We should have we, a grasp of history, but let's move forward. We, we should call each other and and hold each other to to those to those things. Uh, I'd like to read something. It was in the Fourier of LBJ's Presidential Library. It's LBJ's goals, and this was what he had written. What he wrote down as his goals. To uh, it says enrich and elevate our national life, advance the quality of our American civilization, make progress the servant of our needs, create abundance and liberty for all. In poverty and racial injustice, enrich minds and enlarge talents. Feed the desire for beauty and the hunger for community. Renew contact with nature. Make our cities great. Protect the the nation's natural splendor. Give every child a place to sit and a teacher to learn from. Prevent poverty from undermining learning. Reduce poverty through education. Give every citizen full equality. Give every citizen an escape from the crushing weight of poverty. And finally, help all nations live in enduring peace. This is from the 1964 commencement speech at the University of Michigan, where LBJ unveiled his vision for a greater society. Those were his goals. Lofty goals. Uh, Some of them achieved, some of them partially achieved. But they were goals. They were targets. It gave us something to shoot for. And we need goals. We need targets like we need standards. We need something to measure our progress by. And though LBJ was by no means a uh, a saint, and sure. at one point you could actually say LBJ himself was a racist and maybe even a white supremacist. But people can change. And sometimes even when you are those things, you can still do some good. You can still be other things. Absolutely. And, you know, that's, that was the, those were the things that I saw in his space that stood out to me. Um, And I must say that I was happy that I went and trudged through the uh, (laughs) Texas humidity and heat and uh, found my way over to see his presidential library. Both of us, my husband and myself, left there inspired and uh, better off for having gone to see it firsthand for ourselves. So if you ever, you know, and it it also brought a, a bit of fictive kinship for what's to come with Obama's library where Chicagoans 
and to know that there will be a presidential library in my city, uh, I, I can't tell you how excited I am for that. I, I, we, I'm still trying to figure out where they're going to put this big old giant space because they need a lot of room to put presidential archives, apparently. It, that, it, that's a lot of paper. That's a lot of work. Um, so to think that that's about to happen to my city and that so many kids like me uh, from the west side of Chicago will have an institution where they can access history like that is really inspiring. I'm really excited about that, and I can't wait to see it. Symbolism, symbols are very important, and we have to embrace them when we have them. That's something positive. Just like the symbol of the Confederate flag, it's an important symbol. Right. And what it symbolizes for African Americans, and really what it's to symbolize for Americans, is a struggle where a lot of people died. Uh, it was uh, just horrendous in the number of people who died, in the ways that they died. And one of the things that the Civil War has in common with our modern wars is the amount of amputation, whether it was immediate on the battlefield or later in what sort of passed as hospitals, the amount of amputations. And mind you, they didn't have anesthesia like they have today. Right now, today, yeah. You got some a stick to put in your mouth if you're fortunate. Uh, if you were really fortunate, you got a chance to take some swig off some rye whiskey or something like that. But otherwise, right. your stuff was just sawn off. And a lot of the injuries that they did suffer during that war that caused them to have these limbs so sawn off could have been prevented today. In other words, there was other measures, not to mention it would have been a lot less painful. And then and when you lived in a time from the Agrarian community and the Industrial Revolution is, uh, you know, kicking off, these men became destitute after the war, the ones who survived, who had, because they oftentimes couldn't, they couldn't walk because they lost their legs or a leg, uh, or they lost an arm or arms. Uh, how, you know, they didn't have safety nets like they have today. So a lot of people gave up a lot. And for the ones who started the war, and let's be clear, the South started the war. Mm-hmm. Now, we have to move on beyond that, but they're the ones who started the war. They're the ones who succeeded from the United States. And the Confederate flag is a symbol, back to symbolism, of the start of the war, the succession from the United States, and what led to a lot of the country's best and brightest at the time to give up their life, uh, limb, and in some cases their good mind to a cause that was about enslaving. And people can say, well, it's about states' rights. Well, yeah, there were states' rights involved, but the state right was the right to enslave another group of people. So when I hear people sort of, do wordplay with that Yes you're right It had something to do with state rights But the state right that it had something to do with 
was being able to decide whether you wanted to enslave another group of people when you have a constitution that you've embraced that said all men are created equal. So, you know, when you put the, you know, the Constitution and, and the Declaration of Independence together, all men are created equal, and then you had those things that supported it with the Bill of Rights, when you put those things into that context, yes, it was state rights, but Hitler was going for his country's right to kill and massacre and destroy and, and do some very God knows what else, maim and right. Which he got from the playbook of America. How about that? And from America, and yes, part of it from the Confederacy. So let's not try to clean this up and try to make this history somehow something else that it wasn't. No, the state's right that they were fighting for was the right to subjugate another people, my people, my ancestors, so that they could make money. Some people said, well, no, it's just about commerce. Yes, it was about mm. commerce, too, and greed. Yes, it was about that. But it was ultimately but based don't try off to, of the yeah. of slavery. <laughs> yeah, let's see. This is the, you begin to amputate the pieces of history that don't reflect your narrative when people are not vigilant and uh, keeping their eye on history. That's why. The, what's the old saying? If you don't know your history, you are doomed to repeat it. That's how it happens. And we will repeat it if we give up that vigilance on it. And it, it may not be exactly how it was. I mean, let's let's think about it. Uh, our president, the so-called first black president, Bill Clinton, signed into a bill into law that has led to the incarceration of more black people than any other president in our history. And and he was supported by his wife in doing it, who's now running for president and is expecting to get the black vote. And when I think about that, one of the and she's making an appeal to women and specifically black women. And and I tried to to sit back and just sort of Put that into some type of focus. Sort that out. And maybe mm-hmm. maybe there's some bias. But I says, okay, you're expecting black people and black women to vote for you when you or your husband, along with your support, did something to incarcerate decimate the enslaved. black family, to decimate the black family. Now you... Remove the black man, you, there's no one to protect the women, the children. And, you know, I know I'm going to get in trouble with all of my sisters, but for real, that that's just the reality of the situation. And, and there is an expectation that these same women who lost their sons, husbands, uncles, grandfathers, Right. And who suffered because of it? These same women who who remain single, and oftentimes when asked why, they say, "Well, there's not a eligible pool of black men." And when you ask them, you know, where are they? Why aren't they there? And they say, "Well, you have a certain number that are incarcerated. There's a certain number that are homosexual. There's a certain number that are uneducated. You know, they just go down this litany." And we think, "Well, but yet you're going to support this woman." 
who is partially responsible for your predicament, your plight? I guess for me, it does not pass the logic test. Uh, don't don't slap me and then after you slap me, kiss me <laughs> and tell me that it's okay. Well, it's getting interesting. And over the next uh, year, year and a half, it's going to be even more interesting. We have a, a local politician, a state politician here, Assemblywoman, who said that she wanted to put more time and effort into the black agenda. Uh, we also have the Million Man March anniversary coming up on 10 10 uh, 15, October 10th, 2015. And that, that's a big event, and it, it's something that should be celebrated because it did show a certain level of unity. And what I was, what I want to say to folks is, whether you go or not, ultimately it's what's done after we rally together, after we march. Now, there's nothing wrong with rallying and marching. It, it, it has a role to play. But it's what are we going to do? And the reason why I bring it up is it goes back to that black, that black agenda that the young second woman here was speaking of. We've had sure. Bernie Sanders come to visit us. We've had Hillary Clinton come to visit us. And we're going to have, I believe, all of the elected officials coming to our state here in Las Vegas, as well as going to South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Because these are early voting states. You know, we got uh, Vermont, we have New Hampshire, but we also have South Carolina and Las Vegas. And when those folks come to talk to us and when they have their focus groups, now let's keep in mind that these focus groups are primarily a dog and pony show. Primarily a dog and pony show. Because what mm-hmm. they usually do, not always, but what they usually do, especially in the early stages, is they pull people from the party who are true believers. Uh, some people would call them yes people. Other people call them bootlickers. I call them these are true believers. Because it's safe. They're not typically going to ask you or say something that is off the talking point. And they'll tell you beforehand, this is what we want you to talk about. These are questions. So let's just keep that in focus of what it really is. It's theatric, theater, drama. And what I'm suggesting to you out there is for those of you who are maybe not a party loyalist, for those of you who may not be the ones that will just stick to the talking points and ask the soft, easy questions, why don't you set up a forum, look at the schedule, so, you know, you want to do it in advance, but if you just do it up close, they'll say, no, we don't have time for that because we have to ring security and we have other speaking engagements, et cetera, et cetera. But we know that they're coming to South Carolina. We know that they're coming to Las Vegas, my city. Mm-hmm. And this applies to me, too. And I believe we should set up forums, events of our own outside of the party loyalists, the party regulars, and invite them to these forums, to these town halls. And now I don't mean invite them there to beat up on them, because who wants to get beat up on? But what I am saying is invite them there to ask true questions from the people. 
and not just ask questions. Sometimes that's all we do is we ask. So let's tell, T-E-L-L. Let's tell them what we see. Let's tell them what we feel, and let's tell them what we want. I want this because of this, this, and this. That's it. That's what I want. Now, those things that you may tell me I want, maybe I do, maybe I don't. But it's not for you to tell me what I want. It's for me to tell you what I want, what I need. And then for you to figure out a way to make it happen because you're the rep- you are there to represent me. I am not here to represent the party. I am not here to represent you as the campaigner. I am here as an American citizen that has the full right or somewhere near the full right. I'm still a black person in America. And <laughs> I expect this, this, and this. And so I'm, I'm putting that out to the listening audience. Three four seven eight two six nine six zero zero three four seven eight two six ninety six hundred. When these candidates come to these cities, what are you going to tell them? Are you just going to, you know, hit the applause line? Are you just going to stick to the talking points? Because if you do, I want you to think about it. Black people have roughly a twenty. What is it? No, our unemployment rate is and has been double that of white for a long time now. For I'm not saying years. that for decades. I am not saying That's that, right. oh, we're just expecting jobs out the sky because black people have a role in creating their own businesses, supporting their own businesses, and hiring their own people. I'm with that 100%. As a matter of fact, I also am one of those who say, look, we have a role to play in this, and we need to play our role. How can we expect somebody to help us when we won't help ourselves? You know, it, we, we have a role to play. Let's play our part. But at the same time, if there are things that are structurally impeding us from those jobs, from those contracts, then those barriers need to be uh, taken down, and we need our elected officials to do that. Right? You are listening to Our Own Voices Live. Our Own Voices Live comes to you every Saturday at 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. And 3.30 at East. Uh, our topics today is small victories and the Confederate flag, because I believe the taking down of the Confederate flag when it happens in South Carolina, I believe it happened in Alabama. Uh, there's work on it in Georgia. Uh, and let's not forget uh, places like Tennessee. Yes, it is one thing, and it is a thing, but it is a symbol of something much more. Obviously, racism, biases, prejudice, these are afflictions of the mind. These are ideologies, and removing a piece of fabric probably is not going to change the ideology of people who are here now. But we also have to do something. We have to look past the now, whether it's looking back into our history or looking forward into our future. As a taxpaying person in America, for me to see a Confederate flag, whether it's on my school mascot 
or whether it's on the flag of the Capitol Dome, to see that is a constant reminder of those people who wanted to enslave me, and it makes me wonder, is that what they want to do today? And as a taxpayer, that symbol does need to come down. And for those places where it's already been taken down, those businesses, whether it's Disney, others that have taken it down off of their website have ceased receiving and in some cases even selling merchandise with it on it because it propagates an ideology. It keeps, it helps keep that ideology alive. And if we want to cut, if we want to stop this beast, we have to stop it from spreading out in every angle. This, this is a full spectrum warfare against it. And so every place where we can cut it off, it needs to be cutting off, and we need to keep chopping until we get to the roots and pull it out by the roots and then throw it into the fire. Three four yes, seven sir. eight two six nine six zero zero three four seven. Love to hear from you. Uh, this topic, because it, it is a victory. I believe it's a victory, and I believe it's a victory that we should celebrate. We shouldn't sit on our laurels, and we shouldn't think that it's, you know, things have changed overnight because it hasn't. But it is a victory. Now, Rahm Emanuel, who is the mayor of your city, Angela, I believe he's the one that's quoted that says, "Never, uh, oh, never, never let something bad." I'm paraphrasing now. Uh, never let something bad go without basically squeezing something good from it. You paraphrase. Hmm. And well, what you know, I, I'm I'm trying to figure out what what to do with that statement and the tax bill I get because I still own property in Illinois and right now Rom, he's he's known as my tax bill. He's killing me. Well, he's making me hurt. Taxes, he's making me hurt. We, he's making me pay. We have a role in in taxes. Are those taxes fair? Are we are the taxes burdensome? Are we getting what we need from the taxes? Uh, you know, because sometimes we get taxed on stuff that happened a hundred years ago. Well, if it That's happened a hundred right. years ago, you would think it would be paid <laughs> Why for. Why am I now. still paying? <laughs> you know, did the telephone, did, did the electric grid get put up? Uh, yesterday, or did it get put up 100 <laughs> years ago? And we still right. paying taxes on it. Oh, the telephone line, yep, they spread across the country, but we're still paying taxes on it. So we do need to look at all of those things. And we need to look at it with a critical eye. And we really need to look at things outside of the constructs of party, because that is the structure. And as black people, when we're looking at party, remember that unemployment rate, 10.1% took a momentary dip to 9 point something, the first time it had been down in the single digits in decades? Well, let's, let's, it doesn't make a difference whether it's Democrat or Republican in the office. We still have double-digit unemployment. So are they really there for us? Have we pushed them to be there for us? That's the role that we have to play. Or do we just continuously go with the party line? Wait. You know, there was major stuff, actions that happened in the Supreme Court uh, this week. But what happened in there that benefited us specifically? Can we have something? Other groups have it. Can we have something? 
I'm looking at the Facebook pages and the colorations of the profile pictures. I see that. All right. So where is ours? Where is that legislation for us? You know, where is that education, the changing of the education that includes black people, Africans, throughout history, throughout our curriculum? I would say to all of the people who are listening, one thing that we can say to these presidential candidates and other elected officials, because it's not just the president that's up for election in 2016, there are other officers. When these mm-hmm. folks come through to us, let's tell them specifically, hey, we want you, if you're running for president, we want to know what is your stance and what are you going to do through the Department of Education, whether we like it or not, it's there for now. What are you going to have them do to integrate and incorporate African-American and African history and culture throughout all curriculum, pre-K through 12, and all schools of higher learning that are publicly funded? I want to know now. What's your plan? Do you have a plan? When is it taking effect? There it is. So if you're looking for something to say, there's something to say. Uh, what is your plan to help curtail this police violence and killing of black people, unarmed black people. What are you what are you doing? What is your plan? No, I don't want to hear that okay, yes, <laughs> it is nice to hear it. It's, you say it's tragic and we need to do better, we need to do more. But that is not a plan. So what is your ten point plan? I want to hear the plan. <laughs> and do you want to hear the plan? I want to hear the plan. I want to hear the plan. What's the plan to prevent this? Because if they're killing my kids today, you better believe they're coming for yours tomorrow. That's just reality. So I want to hear the plan. plan. Yeah, and we can give them our plan because it's a good possibility they don't have a plan. Well, that's okay because I know that you want to represent me. That's why you're here. You want my vote so you can represent me. Lyndon B. Johnson and his friends, his cabinet said, I do not know how to solve it. But here's what we have. And I, when I tell you, they said they didn't know how to solve racism or poverty, but they had two rooms of programs and initiatives and things that they had put forth into the world to help combat it. Where's that stuff at? Where, where, where is the two museum-sized rooms of things that we're going to use and and act in our communities and society that is going to combat it, period. Lyndon B. Johnson and, and, and that generation of folks, they put forth their plans. They, they enacted their plans. They put their ideas out there. They, they, they made their things happen, and it's still happening. Vista is still around. For example, Head Start is still around, for example. Black Panther Party, with all of its political uh, strifes and however you feel about whatever they did, but free lunch is still in schools today. Free breakfast is still in schools today. So, you know, politics aside, party aside, uh, Whatever you're angry about aside, what are you doing? What are you working on? Who are you working on it with? Because you can't do it all yourself. What coalition yeah. 
are we building amongst ourselves? You know, we can talk this stuff all day long, but ultimately it's what we do collectively. It's the work. So where are we putting these coalitions together? And I'm going to go back to what I what I say quite often, is yes, we don't always agree on things, but it's okay to not always agree. But what is it that we do agree on? And because it's going to take effort to get past what we don't agree on. Okay, got it. But what is it that we do agree on or who out there agrees with you can you work with to move these things forward? You know, there's some there's a pic- that. Go ahead, Angela. Absolutely. There was a picture in the, um, in the museum of MLK, uh, President Johnson, and Whitney Young. Do you think those three men agreed on everything? Obviously not. Clearly they didn't. But they were in the room together, figuring out what they could work on together and, and not just, you know, figuring it out, putting it out there, making making it work. This is what you can contribute, MLK. You have the gift of gab. You can deliver the message to the masses. And once you get their attention in the way that you can get their attention, I can then say I have a groundswell of people here on the ground mobilized and and asking for this to be done. I can take that to Congress and, and make them do something. And then once I do that, Whitney, you do what you do on your end. And all three of us doing what we do can come together and move this one thing right here or these two things. And if these two, three things here move, then some of this other stuff will move. Basically, it's a bunch of things going to move. If the three of us just play our part, do what we can do. We all have a part to play. There's uh, someone on the Facebook page on Our Own Voices Live. That's right, we do have the Facebook page, Our Own Voices Live, and it is up right now. And they brought reference to Jews and the LGBT community. And there's a meme that's up that it shows a picture of the Nazi flag and what it means to Jews. And therefore, we don't see Nazi flags flying on capitals and, and being embraced, nor do we see that in Germany. And then there was the picture of the Confederate flag and said to black people, the Confederate flag, the symbolism of it is at least to African Americans what it is to the, the Nazi, the swastika is to Jews and Jewish Americans. And it should be treated no less than an aberration to society as the Nazi flag. And that's how I see it. And that's how we mm-hmm. need to treat it. It is it is no different. You no, know, there were six million Jews that they say were killed. It's an untold number of Africans who were killed. Obviously in the million. And then we talk about those who were enslaved in this country for hundreds of years. Jews were in captivity roughly, well, it was less than, it was about a decade from beginning to end, maybe mm-hmm. a little less than that. Not to belittle their struggle, 
but I'm just showing a level of if it again, if it's this response with this action here, and this is what happened to us. Why is it so difficult for people to understand why this is so important to us and why this has to be done? 347-826-9600. We only have a few minutes left in our broadcast today. And so we want to talk about the Confederate flag. But now we talked about the Confederate flag in, in South Carolina. But what about the... References to the Confederacy Right here in Las Vegas Our university University of Nevada Las Vegas, UNLV The running rebels Now some people say Well we say rebels Because of the rebelliousness Of Nevada When it came Into the Union Because you know Nevada was not a slave state and I wondered if the people who gave us Beauregard, as he's called now, I wonder if they realized, if they know their history, that Nevada was not part of the Confederacy, that Nevada came into the Union on October 31st. And the reason why it came in in October versus January 1st was so that Lincoln could get another state into the Union. It was also that Lincoln can get some electoral votes to help ensure that he won the presidency. And think about it. When Lincoln was running for president, right, the Confederacy had succeeded. But who was still voting, even though they said had succeeded from it. So I just want us to take these things into context as to what's going on, what has gone on, and how things of the past impact today and what goes on today will impact, if not our future, because we may And how history, how history is co-opted. Sometimes we need to just look at the work of an individual. Uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, I, I got to admit, I didn't go into the library liking all of the story that I under, thought I understood about him. But I left his presidential library with a great deal of respect for the work and for um, the his intent. Was it perfect? Was it a perfect effort? No. But whose effort is perfect? Well, since there's no perfect person, I'm guessing... <laughs> There's been no perfect effort. Now, there's right. some people who get tens doing gymnastics, but that's pretty rare. So right. no perfect person, no perfect anything. So, you know, I, I I have to say, sometimes we have to put away our understanding 
and go forward and look at the story in as much of the complete context as we could possibly muster. Lyndon Baines Johnson's story, I only knew parts of it. And, you know, I still don't know all of it, I, I, although I did go to his presidential library, but it was the it was it was a lot of the nuances that I I left there a changed person uh, because I had had that experience standing in that foyer and seeing six stories of archives uh, thick as I am across each volume as I am across you know as a human being as these volumes were that big these were thick volumes of of uh paper and, and and activity a flurry this represented a flurry of activity during one person's presidency of, of this country with that much work being done that much paper alone being generated how can we really completely understand the complexities and every nuance of that job and, you know, how much responsibility that is. For anybody that holds that office, I'll tell you what, I left there with, I I went in there with a great deal of respect for the presidency, for for the office of the presidency of the United States, but I left there with even more respect for it because to see one person's experience in that job, the result of it, it's it's uh it 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 pauses you and to know this is something that I, I I came to feel I knew after having that experience. Whatever biases he went into that office with, you have to know that every day, every particular situation he dealt with, he had to deal with his biases and still come out and do what was best for the body and not for his understanding of people and 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 his biases and you know there's so many things you must have to put aside when you are in the seat of leadership uh yes there is and, and as we have a, a caller online uh awesome. Lee and he's going to come on and, and share some of his uh, thoughts with us. Welcome to Our Own Voices Live, Lee. What, did you have a hey, Lee. On this Welcome part? to the show. Hey, thank you. I'm in California, and uh, I just did a show yesterday on the historic uh, uh, Supreme Court decisions. But I wanted to talk about LBJ really quick because, you know, there's a concerted effort in this country by the conservatives to uh, knock down the war on poverty and say it's a failure and it still exists and all these other talking points when in fact, you know, the war on poverty was its most at at its most successful rate the first 10 years I think when it first came out because there was a different form of government and so people mm-hmm. bought into it and supported it. So it's fluctuated, but the thing they don't talk about the right when they start criticizing the war on poverty is they say, well, listen, we still have poverty, 
but it hasn't grown exponentially the way it would have if we didn't have these programs in place. So I get really tired of the veiled uh, PR campaign that the right does when it comes to uh, poverty and working poor because what we have today is basically, forgive the term, slave wages. We have stagnation. We have a middle class that's being eradicated. We have a very wealthy class that is getting more wealthier. And all we ever hear about when we talk about wage increase is condemnation of, of things like improving uh, minimum wage. And you get people that like Chris Christie who make fun of it and say, well, who sits around the dinner table and talks about minimum wage? Well, there's a lot of people that do because minimum wage, if you increase it and make it relative to what our uh, inflation rate is in this country, how we haven't kept up, we haven't indexed it properly. If we were to do that, we'd have so many more people out of governmental assistance programs like SNAP, less people relying on food stamps. There's a lot of hardworking Americans that are working three jobs just trying to make ends meet where if they got 3 or $4 an hour more, uh, they would be pouring that back into the economy. So it just really sickens me uh, when I hear people criticize, not you guys, but LBJ and the war on poverty, because I think that was a heartfelt uh, intervention that he did on behalf of not just African-Americans, but white Americans as well. I would like to uh, see some of these candidates and, and some of the people you just spoke of. I dare them go to... LBJ's presidential library or probably any of the other presidential libraries and still bulk at uh, the effort. And I would love for them to stand in that Fourier amongst his archive, his presidential archive, and articulate to me and others, the rest of us, how they're going to do something of equal or better measure. Yeah, they Let's won't. Do it. Let's they won't. It. Yeah, they won't do it because they don't understand that uh, the way our oligarchy society is going right now, that in order to have a healthy economy, you got to grow it from the inside out. You don't grow it from the top down. Mm-hmm. And so the only thing that people talk about on the right when they talk about uh, economic uh, improvement is they talk about incentivizing small business and all this other talking points, tax exemptions, tax decreases, no tax increases. Look at Sam Brownback and look at Kansas. If you want to see a perfect model of how supply-side economics works, take a look at Kansas, take a look at Louisiana, and see what that uh, those, those typical uh, economic policies from the right do to a state. You know, states have to balance their budgets annually. Uh, Louisiana had a $1.6 or $1.2 billion deficit. Kansas had an $800 billion deficit. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. You you can't you cannot grow an economy. $800 million, sorry, in Kansas, not billion. You can't grow an economy from giving tax cuts, tax exemptions, and and other right policy. Uh, uh, implementations and think that you're going, and then they start cutting. So when that happens, all they do is they cut schools, they cut, they go after pensions. It's a vicious cycle. It never works. And so I'm tired of the middle class going backwards. I'm tired of the working poor 
working and being poor. And, you know, there's going to be a revolt sometime. And that's why people like Bernie Sanders, I think, are so important to push the reality to people in, when he gets on the campaign circuit with uh, debates. He'll be able to pull Hillary to the left and really talk about things that are reality, not just the typical uh, criticisms of the Clinton Foundation and other distractions that the right tries to do. So, uh, hey, I, you know, I mean. I feel you, man. I, I really would love love to see one of the debates right there in the foyer of the LBJ uh, presidential library. Let's hold all of the debates in the presidential library. Let's do that this this campaign. <laughs> yeah, and, one last thing, if I may, really quick, because I really sure. appreciate you guys giving me the time to talk on your show. Um, you know, the Confederate flag, or whatever you want to call it, crossing bars, whatever, you know, it was an act of treason. Uh, Lincoln did not want one state. As a matter of fact, he said he would rather be, this is eerie, He'd rather be assassinated than see one state secede from the Union. That's how strongly he felt about keeping the Union together. And so all these people that complain about their freedom to hoist the flag, and Nikki Haley never would have addressed and taken down the flag had it not been for that tragic murder in South Carolina. And so Mm -hmm. that tune In fact, she had made a statement just last week, the week before. Oh yeah. That she, yeah. That she had no intention. That's right. Basically. They were oh, we'll get to it. You know, it's part of our heritage. You want to know what that is? That is just a a veneer for those racists that want to try to in, integrate heritage and all these other false uh alignments to the south. You don't need a flipping Confederate flag to uh memorialize treason. You don't even need mm-hmm. monuments. You want to have monuments? Fine. You want to put them in a museum where people can pay an admission fee or go see these, uh, uh, not in public display. I mean, it was on the state capitol, for God's sake. How many African Americans had to walk by? They just by? locked some people up for cutting it down. Hey, you know what? I, she should have jumped on that flagpole, got some bull cutters, and cut that flag down. She the did, night and that. within the hour, a new one was up there. She did just that. She, she well, both cut it, cut it down, and by the time she made it down to, off the pole, they arrested her, and within the hour, oh, yes. the so you're flag talking about that one girl, there. right. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. talking about the governor. You're right, yeah, mm-hmm. that one lady. They did arrest her. You're right, and uh, good for her, and I bet you somebody will jump up and defend her pro bono, and, you know, um, it, it's about time that we stop making excuses as a country and particularly the conservatives in power from these southern states, they need to they need to start it. And Obama said it great in his eulogy, something to the effect that he was quoting Clementa Pickney, saying that everybody needs to understand everybody else's personal history, not just mm-hmm. the white Caucasian Southerners and their love for the Confederate flag. They need to understand the African American history. With that time, and if hey, they did kid that, that, did they that. Have... the the kid that did this awful thing at uh, Mother Emanuel Church, he did it because he went and researched and 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 did become acquainted with the history. And I think that's a part of this story that the mainstream media keeps glossing over. They they keep trying to uh, paint this as a lone wolf 
uninformed uh, right. incident. This was a terrorist act, and it was very deliberate. And he keeps telling everybody, I'm not crazy. I did this on purpose. Oh, yeah. I read uh, I read up on, in preparation for a show. I read, mm-hmm. I went to the language of the people who were spearheading the secession from the union, and it was disgusting. So matter-of-fact, not inflamed rhetoric, just a simple, these people were racist. They believed African Americans were unfit to be citizens, that they were inferior. They even gave white slaves more credence because they were white slaves. That's how racist these people were. So you're right. When somebody twisted can go out and and feed himself on that hateful vitriol and then be gifted a gun when he's a flipping felon criminal, had a record by his uncle, and mm-hmm. uh, South Carolina has some of the most lax gun laws in the country, then you got the perfect storm, you know, and then you got the NRA, which nobody wants to take on, and nobody wants to go after them and mm-hmm. challenge them. And until somebody does that, this is going to happen again and again and again. So, you know what, man? I, I don't know. I think a revolt is going to happen, and I think we need to embrace uh, the opportunity to protest. You guys were talking earlier about what do you do? you got to protest. you got to get it out there, and you carve enough ways and people will listen. There doesn't have to be violence. There doesn't have to be riots. People need to stand up and protest. And if we do that, and corporate America does that, when Indiana tries to pass their racist religious freedom crap, you know, and discriminate, then we'll start making some headway. All right. Well, yeah, thank you for your call. Uh, yeah, thank you for the call. I hope you'll listen to further show. You can always go to Our Own Voices Live on Facebook. I am going to do that. And- I'm going to follow you guys. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. And follow my show, Civil Chat with Lee. I appreciate the time, and God bless Will you. Will do. All right, All right. man. Thanks right. so Peace. much. Peace. 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 Wow, he brought up some very good points. I, one of the Absolutely. things I was going to say is I just want to make sure that we don't get lost in the politics of it all, that we have had uh, Democratic Congresses, we have had Democratic state houses, Democratic governors, and, of course, Democratic presidents. And these flags in these states have still remained up. Uh, The actions of our presidential leadership has been lackluster in many cases. Uh, There are some exceptions of brightness, as he mentioned, and as you This is a uh, 20-year battle. The last time we we were actively trying to get the, the flag down, I won't even say its name. The, the, we all know what flag I'm talking about. Um, it was 20 years ago, and and it was a very shameful um, display that it it didn't happen. It, it it's just amazing that uh, 20 years later we could even question whether this is necessary and that it's a victory. And let's let's just think about the Georgia flag, the Georgia state flag, is what's changed in recent times. This is not something from right after the war. This is recent times. The Georgia state flag has the uh, Confederate flag. Mm 
as a part of it. And this yeah. is what the citizens of Georgia, whether they are embracing the what people say is uh, their southern heritage, to me they're embracing the slavery part of their southern heritage, but that's a part of their flag. And I'm posting that up because I want people to, to see that this is a part of their flag and that it needs to come down. Uh, also, I'm posting up the Mississippi flag because I want people to see it. We have to see it. These symbols. Make sure you put up it. the UNLV rebel rebel flag and, and you know, um, that our um, Senate Majority Leader brought this up and said, hey, we need to make sure that we change this. These symbols do play an important role in this country and in how people conduct themselves, how they act. Absolutely. Uh, whether it's with the young man, and he was a man, he's not a boy, with the young mm-hmm. man who massacred those nine people, who assassinated them, who who saw out that sacred act. place, that sacred place in black history. Mother Emanuel was a part of the Underground Railroad and a part of, it's over 200 years old. It's 200 years of American history associated with that church. It was burned to the ground and they were, laws were changed to stop black people from being able to have their own churches because the membership at Mother Emanuel was not, just about praying, they pushed until something happened with their actions. So flags, so, uh, they are symbols, and those symbols, like them, need to come down. And as they come down, I encourage black people to embrace it. It is not the end of the fight. It is not the only struggle that is out there. There are others, but it is a victory, and we should yeah. embrace the victory and use it as a stepping stone to build the momentum. Right. You know, this is how things work. It builds momentum to do other things. So let's not belittle the accomplishment because it is an accomplishment. It is taking us further than we've been before, and I am embracing it. I hope that others will do the same thing. The flags have to come down. Do not lose sight on the massacre that happened, the assassination, the terrorist act that happened at Mother Emanuel, uh, First Africa Pacific Church. But let's no, we're not forgetting that. But let's embrace that we are. This, there is movement, and once the once the, it starts, you know, it takes a lot to get things to move. Once get things it starts, moving. We need to do our part to push it even further. To keep the momentum and that's what up, I'm absolutely. So today our show was about the Confederate flag and small victories. And what, basically, what can, now that we have it, how do we turn it into a big victory? And let's not snatch the, this victory from us. Let's build upon this victory. Let's look for ways where we can unify. Uh, not continue to talk about our differences because we'll always have them. But for those of us, especially at the black community, let's talk about the things that we have in common. Let's focus our attention and our efforts on those to bring them to fruition. I posted some pictures 
Mississippi flag, the Georgia flag. I'm looking for the uh, running rebels uh, flag and mascot. I'll try to get that up later. Um, and so what else did you have for us? Uh, I just wanted to say, you know, my trip last week was very enlightening. It was very nice to be in Austin, Texas during Juneteenth weekend and to uh, take a, a walk, take that bookended walk through history, um, black history, but also American history, and kind of iconoclast the two together. And I left that experience feeling like we could do it. We've already done it. So let's just get to work. Continue to work. Well, there you have it. Uh, I'm wishing everyone a early July uh, 4th weekend coming up, Freedom. Uh, one of the things that uh, I'm going to be talking about that on that show is is July 4th to African Americans what Columbus Day is to Native Americans? Hmm. Is July 4th to African Americans what Columbus Day is to Native Americans? And should we even still celebrate Columbus Day? And how should we celebrate July 4th knowing that that Declaration of Independence still kept Africans as slaves to the people who espoused the inalienable rights of all men. I hope that you'll stay tuned. hope you'll join us next week. Join us next week. Well, Angela, that uh, pretty much does it for me. And yep. uh, thank you me all too. for listening. Uh, and so thank you for taking the time to jump on the show today and make it happen. Uh, to Lee yeah. for being our Joining our us caller. and giving some great comments. And, yeah. uh, he's going to post his show. I'm interested to see what that's all about. And to the rest of our listeners, always appreciate you. So all until right, next man. week, 12.30 p.m. on the West Coast. And that's 3.30 out East. See you guys next week. Make it a great week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.